Welcome to episode 10 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm Eli. And we live here in the Caucasus. All right, Andrew. Episode 10. 10. Diesit in we're Russian. Diesit, we're in double digits. What is on, what's on the docket for today? Let's do this. I'm excited. Uh, you know, in general, we, uh, we're trying to stay away from controversy and we're wanting to be positive. And, but we have an interesting topic today. <laughs> One that may entail controversy. No, it, it's going to be good. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, living here in the North Caucasus, the, the people are distinct in their qualities and characteristics and values. And specifically, I'm talking about um, there's throughout history a certain kind of man that embodies what Caucasus men are like and a certain kind of woman that embodies what Caucasus women are like. And we say that in the most, in the best way possible. Respectful. It's just how it is. There's yeah. just an ideal. Is it an ideal? That's right. The ideal Caucasus man. That's right. And the ideal Caucasus woman. And of course, it's not every man, like not every man is like this. And That's probably right. it's not every man's ideal, but historically and generally, yeah, it exists. And it reflects kind of what is valued here in this region. Um, so today we're going to talk about who and what is the Caucasus man. I am. <laughs> the and Caucasus man. Our next episode, we're going to talk about who and what is the Caucasus woman. This is as deep as my voice gets. I yeah. really work hard to bring out the bassiness of my voice on this podcast. <laughs> Can't you like edit that down or something? <laughs> oh, I'm the Caucasus Technology. Man. Yes. Um, so but these are going to be so rich because so, I mean, gender touches on everything. And yeah, we're everything. really, we're digging in. That's right. It touches on many things that we're, we're going to dig into history, um, values, religion, and it, it might touch a little on politics. Again, for, first of all, we're outsiders here, so we know we're not experts on this. Right. Uh, and we are Americans living in Russia. So, again, we're, we're avoiding being controversial or taking hard lines on things. We're just trying to represent yeah. things how they are. Yeah, to be, to be fair and honest to the subject matter. Yeah. So. Um, so um, Caucasus man. Let me give a shout-out, first of all, to – Three of my good Caucasus friends uh, who gave me good insights and uh, some good kind of pointers on what to talk about today about Caucasus men. They are a good Balkar friend, Dakir, a good Karachai friend, Nauruz. He was who we interviewed in episode four. three or four, many moons ago of episodes. <laughs> uh, and then a good Dagestani friend, Hassan. Shout, shout. That's right. That's so thank you guys. Uh, gave me some really good insights. Um, and so we're kind of taking their lead uh, today. Okay, so who and what is the ideal Caucasus man? Um, first of all, there's, I mean, we're looking at hundreds of years of history that has formed and shaped kind of what people expect and value. Uh, so the first word we're going to talk about is jigit. Ooh. Jigit. Jigit. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, 
any of you listeners, uh, obviously our local listeners here in the Caucasus know what Jiggy is, but if you're not from the Caucasus, I don't know if you've heard that for, heard that word before. We were in uh, the Czech Republic in June and having lunch with a Czech friend and he knew what Jigit was. So maybe in Europe they know what that is more. Well, but Czech is really similar to Russian. Is Jigit its own word in Czech as well as Russian? Uh, it's like this. I mean, it has more of Turkish roots, the, ah. word, the actual word. But he, he knew exactly what it was. So, Well, you've whetted our appetites. I know. But in America, like I would assume most people don't, don't know what Jigit is. I, for one, have never heard of Jigit. Okay. All right. So Jigit is, uh, the basic definition is a brave man or a really basically talented horseman. Oh. Yes, a person who rides horses really well and bravely. Jigit. So to dig into that a little bit, uh, for hundreds of years now in the North Caucasus, um, one of the things native to this region are its own breeds of horses. Uh, Noah Roos talked about this a little bit in episode three or four, 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 uh, about Karachai have their own breeds of horses. Kabardin have their own breeds of horses. And so, and we've talked about, when we talked about the history of the Caucasus, we talked about how really people, the people here have always been forced to defend their land because of different invading empires right? Uh, or kingdoms. And so often back in the day before modern technology, that the fighting happened on horseback. And so Jigit came from that time when men would ride their horses. I, I don't know if you want to call it trench warfare or, <laughs> but like, it would be like hand-to-hand combat on horses. So it carries then, what you're saying is it carries a connotation not just of horsemanship for horsemanship's sake. It's not like equestrianism. We're talking about mounted um, um, equine battle. That's right. Like, and defending the, the homeland is what a jikit is. That's right. Uh, so Not just barrel riding. I think in the... <laughs> Which is great for what it is. Not just barrel riding. Yeah, no barrel riding here. <laughs> Uh, so Real racing. R- yeah, it's connected with the horse, but also without the horse. It, it embodies also just that kind of brave, kind of like the manly man, man's man. All right. Um, and in, so within that idea of Jigit that has existed for centuries here in the North Caucasus, I would say you really have two qualities or characteristics that define the Caucasus man. Those being honor and strength. Um, so solid. Yeah. Honor we'll, and strength. We'll, we'll talk about that. But before we talk about that, even in general, I would say gender roles here in the North Caucasus are pretty traditional. Um, Definitely. In, in, in that the man, he's expected to provide for the family right. financially. So he works hard and within him being the breadwinner comes like this uh, physical labor work with his hands. So uh, when you get into the Caucasus, a lot of men, they build their own homes. They help their friends build their homes. Um, they often have their own food that they grow in their gardens uh-huh. and fields. And often they have their own like farm animals that they take care of as well. And would those areas of um, domestic production, are those masculine areas or would like the wife take care of the, the animals and the growing more 
or the man farm, or maybe that's not. Good, good question. Definitely women help with animals and kind of planting and growing okay. things in their own gardens. I think we talked about that one. That, that's definitely involved. Uh-huh. And we'll discuss that as well when we talk about who and what is the Caucasus woman. Okay. But in general, like, yes, that for the man, it's like working with his hands. He's very capable and he's kind of the provider for the right. family. Right. Um, so, uh, and then within that, I would say the two main qualities and characteristics are honor and strength. Okay. Okay. So number one, honor. Uh, we didn't we discuss this in a previous episode? Yes, we talked about honor. Can you what what in general? Can you Eli hit real quick? What in general are the different types of worldviews in the world of like how honor relates? Yeah. Well, I mean, contrasting with the with American culture is probably easiest. You have many cultures, many traditional cultures, probably the majority of cultures that are you'd call honor-shame cultures, okay. meaning a prevalent value or, or most of life um, is infused with an awareness of one's personal and family or group honor or losing honor. So it's a value mm-hmm. that can be negotiated, gained, and lost okay. through the actions. That's off the top of my head. So okay. I, through the actions of, of its constituents. So you, you can compromise the value, the honor of your family, obviously by doing something shameful Mm. and you can uh, raise your honor by doing something honorable. Okay. In contrast, um, in a more American, maybe Western, mm, more secular kind of societies, there's more of a, a dynamic of guilt innocence. Okay. Good. Which is much more individual and much more extrinsic to you. It's not. It's not who you are. It's what you've done. Uh, okay. So if you can be acquitted, however, or you can pay it off or whatever, then it has nothing to do with you anymore. Uh, okay. So it can be shed at a moment's notice. But with yeah. honor and shame, it's part of like who you are. It's more. It's in you. Connected. Yeah. yeah it's more connected, and so it's harder to um, to just like get rid of shame, or uh, even though you know it, it can be done. So yeah, honor. So what that means is, like Eli said, what you do as a person, or let's say as the husband and father of a family, it doesn't just reflect on you. It reflects on you, yes, as an individual, but it reflects on your family. It reflects on your, you could say your village or city where you're from. It reflects on your nationality, your people or nation most definitely can reflect on your religion as well. And that's definitely connected in the, in the Caucasus, um, especially more strongly with uh, some of the Muslim nationalities. Um, so uh, this is a really big deal. And often that responsibility of defending the honor of yourself or your family or protecting your honor up, holding the honor, yes. it falls to the man in the family. Right. Um, and so, and even let's say like a, a teenage kid or something did something that was shameful to a family, it would be up to the father to somehow to restore the honor to the family. Sure. Um, so that's the basic principle that we're talking about. Um, and so in that sense, uh, it's a big responsibility for Caucasus men to live honorable lives and do things that don't just bring honor to themselves. But they're very aware that 
their actions and the actions of those closely connected to them also reflect on their family, their people, and even their religion. So, so the man is carrying that responsibility in, like, in his con- he's conscious of it all the time. It's yeah. an outward protectiveness of of the whole family, the whole clan, the mm-hmm. whole groups, um, how how they're perceived and understood, and um, which is going to be really interesting when we talk about women in honor because they uphold family's honor in a very different That's inward right. kind of way. That's right. Yeah. So, in, in general, I would just say that is very different than what we grew up with. Um, right. Like in general in the West there, and we talked about the values and when we talked about cultural values in episode three, maybe. Yeah. But uh, how in the West, a big cultural value is, is individualism. And so we feel that freedom more in the West to make decisions just for ourselves, kind of in a, a vacuum, you could say. Whereas here it's very different. So do you have, are there, what are some specific actions or, or, or kind of um, ways that men do like uphold their honor and their family's honor? Are there specific activities they do or um, expressions of that? Because that's like in some cultures, for example, and I'm not sure how it is, but in, in caucuses as much, but like the, the ability to verbally spar, for example, with uh-huh. someone else uh-huh. and be witty is a way of of defending you know your honor, yeah, or not being too verbal, you know, not being yeah. too chatty. Like I heard a proverb, a Caucasus proverb about being too smiley. Uh-huh. I think I maybe said this before. Only an idiot shows his teeth. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Which is like I'm doomed. <laughs> <laughs> We're in trouble. Americans <laughs> um, No, but the idea of being, you know, if you're too kind of happy go lucky, you look bad. I think there's some good weightiness to that realizing like you don't just live to yourself, you know, right. you, you live also to your family and your nationality and as well as if you're a religious person to your religion. And so in that sense, you reflect your actions do carry weighty consequences at time and others can form opinions based on your actions. And so in that sense, I think, I think there's some cool things to like, just think about like, right. You know, um, so yeah, honor is one. And let me just, one more thing on that. It's not just, um, it's, it's honor is also, um, always tied to how you, like your standing or your value in the eyes of your village, neighborhood, society, community. Mm-hmm. So there's this, uh, you're in the hands of your fellow, um, people. Yes, and that's one reason that because that's been so severed in uh, contemporary Western society, where you're not beholden to almost anyone, mm. um, one that's part of the system of honor, mm. and so uh, it's not just in your control. I mean, you know, you that's why you can reflect poorly, for example, on the lock people or positively yeah. on the lock people because yes, it's, they're they're the ones who are kind of who hold sort of holding the keys to that. Yeah. So that, that changes how you relate to your neighbors and friends and mm. even your history. Yeah. Big yeah. time. I mean, this could be like really foreign to some of you listeners. I mean, it's, I'm not sure how to say it other than that. It's just a very different worldview yeah. and that sure. uh, it's just good to read or talk to people about to understand better. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. But in general, the concept of 
upholding honor is is good and to bring good to others and those around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's one quality and characteristic of a Caucasus man, honor. And then the second, I would just say, is strength. And that's kind of all-encompassing. That In every way. Yeah, yeah, like we're talking about physical strength, uh, emotional strength, kind of being stoic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in a sense, like religious strength as well. That And kind of like being a leader in all those areas. Um, yeah, well put. Yeah, and we... We're going to delve into this some a little with, we're going to talk about some historical Caucasus men who do embody this for a lot of Caucasus men today. Uh, but, you know, we talked about uh, f- physical sports like wrestling, boxing, MMA, ultimate fighting already in one of our earlier episodes. And that is one outworking of that is that that value of physical strength is valued. Yeah. I mean, walking around the streets here, uh, two things you see all over the place and usually together. One is little playgrounds mm-hmm. for the children. And then they're all like, you got a slide, you got a swing. Yeah. Some are Soviet era <laughs> <laughs> built to last with That's right. solid metal pieces. Um, <laughs> and the other is like pull up bars yep. and exercise equipment block by block around the city yeah, that's and right. guys using them. I mean, you just pass guys doing pull-ups in the middle of the day lots of pull-ups yes that is part of the culture here i mean it's partly russian and definitely a caucasus Mm -hmm. thing of just being physically fit yeah and um, and what that it represents so much more than just being physically yeah it's not just a like i you know yeah there's a lot to i don't think it's just having a beach bod yeah you know and even i mean you know uh Back in the day when, like, Jigit meant it's a man on a horse with lots of skills. I wonder now if more of the Jigit understanding has to do with that physical strength through working out and training. Because gyms are super popular here. They're super popular. And in general, that industry as a sport has taken off Uh recently. But so that could be one way that what a Jigit looks like in the Caucasus has shifted maybe in the last two centuries or something. Andrew, we should hit the streets sometime this fall with a recorder and just ask guys, what is a jigit? Ah, that'd be great. And translate their answers. Yeah. Or ask if they can do it in English. All right. Good stuff. So honor and strength, uh, I think those are two kind of main basic qualities of a Caucasus man. And so we're going to look at uh, three historical figures that probably none of you have ever heard of in the West. Uh, (laughs) And but here, they're big deals, and um, they're examples in many ways uh, for men here. Um, so, again, all of these are touching a little bit on uh, religion and politics. So we're just going to present it how it is, um, so you understand a little better where people are coming from. Um, okay, so first one is Imam Shamil. Imam Shamil. All right, so Shamil is his name, his first name. <laughs> Uh, Imam is, it's a Muslim religious leader. It's kind Honor of, it would be like title. pastor or reverend in the West or something. But, but more, I mean, because Imams do more than just, I mean, yeah. a pastor is a, like a church leader, maybe, like maybe bishop or, or bishop. Something. Yeah. Like a bishop though is like a community leader. That's right. That's right. right? From the, from, from the occidental yeah. Christian side. Yeah. So probably in the Caucasus, 
I don't think I'm misspeaking when I say Imam Shamil is probably the most famous person in Cox's history. I, I haven't come across anyone close to his. Yeah. And just so you know, like I asked several different of my multiple friends, two hands worth, two fingers, hands full of fingers worth of my local Cox's friends. That would be 10. 10, up to 10, <laughs> uh, more than five. But, uh, and uh, the resounding answer I got back of who embodies kind of the, the values of a Caucasus man was Imam Shamil. He is from Dagestan. He's ethnically Avar. That's one of the largest uh, nationalities in Dagestan. And he lived in the 19th century. The, the main theme of Caucasus history is people were always, the Caucasus peoples were always defending their lands right. from whether it was the Persians invading or the Ottoman Empire, the Mongols a long time ago. And then... Eventually, there was conflict with the Russian Empire. And so this Imam Shamil lived in the time when the Caucasus Mountain, the North Caucasus, became a part of Russia. And the Russian Empire invaded and won, won over this region, this land. Right. And so, again, that's what happened. Nobody would, like, argue with that. In one sense, he lost. Uh-huh. I mean, there's one of the a famous painting of Imam Shamil uh, surrendering. Yes. So this is really interesting about him. He is not, in, in the purest sense, he, he's not a victor for the Caucasus, mm. but he is the most famous and revered guy. Why? He's a def- yeah, he's a defender for sure. He's a defender. Yeah. And, I mean, you see that theme throughout Caucasus history is Caucasus kind of defending their lands, Caucasus men defending their lands. Um, and so, again, back to the context, the Caucasus-Russian War was in the 19th century, and some people say it lasted up to 100 years, but m- most dates would say 1817 to 1865. I mean, that's 42 years that the Caucasus was trying to keep their lands from Russia. And most of that time, Imam Shamil was kind of leading the fight to defend Caucasus lands. Right. Um, and did so, he have a, did he like unify people in a in a new kind of way? I, I'm not sure. He unified people in that he was uh, revered very strongly as a religious leader, mm-hmm. a Muslim religious leader, mm-hmm. and so he was a leader both in the sense of kind of trying to lead people purely in their religion, but also in defending kind of like a military leader as well. Right. And so they were, I mean, in general, they were always outnumbered. Right. And there's just lots of stories of like crazy military uh, feats, feats right. and uh, just his courage and audacity and bravery. Um, yeah. So that's the first one. He kind of represents um, the Caucasus man as far as like a religious leader and like a defender of Caucasus people's honor, I would say. And he rode horses too. Yes, he did. He was a jigit in every sense of the word. Um, all right. Number two is, this is a new one for me, Al-Klich Hasayev. Ah, a good old Al-Klich. Al-Klich Hasayev. Uh, this was, shout out to Hassan for uh, filling me in on this, but this was a Dagestani wrestler. Uh-huh. He, he didn't live a long life. He lived 1880 to 1920. 40 years old. 40 years. do that math. But... This is basically the modern-day biblical Goliath of the <laughs> Caucasus. <laughs> so let me, um, 
I'm assuming most of you know the story in the Bible, in the Old Testament of David and Goliath. Goliath was literally a giant. It says he was like three, over three meters tall. And he challenged the Israelite people. And David uh, was this small shepherd boy who hit him in the forehead with a rock and killed him. But like Goliath was a giant, literally. Literally. He was like undefeatable until David came along in battle. And uh, these stories and... I mean, confirmed stories about this guy, Al-Khalid Hasayev, are just stuff of legend. <laughs> uh, I was reading up on him. It's fascinating. So he was, he's ethnically, he's Kumuk. Kumuk. Kalmyk. Kalmyk. No, Kalmyk is different. Kumuk. 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 It's a Dagestani people. Yes. Uh, and basically, he just had supernatural strength. <laughs> and so. Uh, Did he have long hair? Speaking of biblical figures, I, I just want to read you like some of the stuff about him. So like literally they say this guy would bend iron rods on his back. He would tie knots with iron rods. <laughs> um, he would tear chains and big ropes in half, Man, like just supernatural strength. And they say that he was like the first Dagestani wrestler. Really? He was what kind of started this. Maybe he was what transitioned Jigit from the kind of warrior horseman to sure to more like the the strong wrestler or something. Because in the twenties, people are being beginning the Soviet era's beginning, and you know the nomadic kind of herder lifestyle is is on its it was way shifting. to shifting. That's right, shifting over. Yeah. Uh, so there's a story. Uh, I also read that he could easily lift a horse with its rider. No problem. <laughs> just lift him up, pick him up. I mean, who doesn't want to just watch that? <laughs> I feel like they do TV shows about like these strongman contests now, but I've never seen anybody lift up a horse with his rider. You should submit it. You should totally submit it. Yes. Like you can pull a semi, but can you lift, you know, <laughs> that's right. A squirming horse. So apparently like, you know, strong guys or wrestlers from other regions, when they would come in his presence, he could just snap them in half. He Ugh. could defeat them so easily. Was he tall? Like tall, big? Or I'm not just sure. I don't, I don't think he was super tall. Uh-huh. I think he was just really strong. Okay. And uh, there's a story that uh, he, at one point in the presence of uh, Tsar Nicholas II, mm. this was uh, after, you know, Dagestan is a part of Russia now, after Imam Shamil, in his presence, he defeated his favorite wrestler, Ooh. just easily defeated him. And he was so enraged by it that he sent a lion into the ring. The czar sent a lion sent after a him? Sent a lion into the ring after Al-Khlich, uh Hasayev, and they wrestled. <laughs> that is he wrestled awesome. a lion, literally. Uh, you got to have a lion at hand, by the way, if you're a czar. It's like, yeah. Fetch my lion. There was another uh, really famous... Uh, kind of Russian, a Slavic wrestler in that day. His name was Ivan Padubny. I think that's right, Ivan Padubny. And uh, apparently nobody could defeat him, but he was really easily defeated by uh, this guy, Alklich Hazayev. And uh, he, in describing Hazayev, said, he isn't a man. He's the devil with steel muscles. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, that is like... <laughs> Especially for an undefeated... It's folklore and legend, but it's like <laughs> confirmed fact, you I know? said that. Yeah. That's pretty scary. So anyways, uh, they say this guy, Al-Klish Hazayev, was kind of the one who 
brought wrestling, especially into Dagestan. There's a lot, this culture now of wrestling and uh, ultimate fighting and boxing. Um, so I would say he really represents, he, he is the pride of the Kumuk people. Yeah. And so he kind of represents more strength, physical strength, you know, and the honor he brought to his people. Through that. Based on his feats. Through his feats yeah. of physical strength. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's the second one. Wow. And we're going to include for you in the show notes just some links on the web so you can just read up a little more than what we're saying. Okay. Get a little more basic yeah. knowledge. So we've got Shamil. Uh, Imam Shamil. The Honorable Horseman Jigit. That's right. We've got Al Klitsch. Al Klitsch the clutch. In the clutch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, uh, the wrestler. The Dagestani wrestler. And then the third, um, I think this is well-known in Russia, but outside of Russia, not well-known. Uh, during World War I, often when you think of Russia, you think World War II. Right. And uh, in Russia, World War II is a big deal because the Germans invaded, the Nazis invaded Russia, and so Russia defended its land. Right. Uh, but Russia also participated in World War I. And listeners, remember, America and Russia were allies in World War I and World War II. So there's so much conflict these days between our countries, but there Wasn't were always. days when we were working together. Mm-hmm. And so in World War I... Uh, Russia had a special division called the Savage Division. No. And? It was all Caucasus men. <laughs> 90, 90% Caucasus men. So let me, I want to translate. There's different ways people use, uh, talk about this division. Uh, so when we say division, we're talking about like a battalion or a brigade, brigade of troops, basically. Uh, one, uh, some people just call it the Dikaya Divizia which is Savage Division or the Wild Division. The Wild Division. And then others, Man. the long term for it is the Kafkaskaya Tuminaya Konaya Divizia, uh-huh. which is the Caucasus Native Cavalry Division or the Caucasus Native Mounted Division. So these were Mounties. These, these were guys on horseback. Yeah, these were Jigits. All right. Yeah. And there were, so just a little bit of facts. Uh most Russians who fought in World War I were conscripted by the government, but uh, the Caucasus men, these were all volunteers. Nice. And there were six regiments total of 625 each, and they were called the, the Savage Division. And they were basically like, I don't know how else to describe it, but like they were like the most savage, like courageous, crazy fighters. And they were all on horses. They had their swords. Man, you can see that. You can like see the movie being made, and the the, the Russian general's like burning a cigarette and is dangling from his lips, and he's sweating. He's at his desk, and it's like, General, what are we going to do? And he looks up. He says, "Send in the savages." That's right. <laughs> you can just, like see. It and they had apparently they had a, they were feared in Europe wow. by the Axis powers that they were a part of the Allied and. uh Let me just, I want to read you from an article online, just a couple snippets, how they're described. (laughs) So first of all, this was all across the Caucasus. So it was Chechens, Ingush, Dagestanis, Circassians, Balkar, Karachai, many, many different uh, ethnicities. Um, And it says, listen to this. In December 1914, alarming rumors hit the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They said that from the depth of the North Caucasus, Russians are bringing an unknown force, a horde of wild equestrians, 
They have wings on their backs and they eat the meat of their enemies. Ugh. They're hardly humans. Europe has never experienced anything like that before. And soon the Austrians and Germans called them the devils in bushy hats. <laughs> and the Russian emperor called them the eagles of the Caucasus. But wow. in history, we know them as the wild division. The wild the division. Savage division. Um, and so like further on, it says at one point in 1915, a group of Chechens were surrounded and they were offered surrender by like the Austrian army. And apparently in the Chechen language, there is no word for surrender. Uh-huh. And so it, it just says on that later that Highlanders or these mountain peoples, they never surrender. This is the law of the Caucasus. Um, and every regiment of the wild division was filled with people related to each other and authority of the elders and blood relations were strong unifying factors. So that, that may be so foreign to you, all of that, but let me tell you, like that is just Caucasus. That makes sense here. It's blood relations. Yes. You, you defend each other because of your relatives or where you're from or because your religion and they were like the feared like regiments in World War One. That gives me a sense of pride. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so like, again, some of you, I don't know, you got to remember this is in the context of war, like lots of nations were participating in this war, but uh, this represents from the Caucasus uh, strength, unity. Honor. And honor. Yeah. And they're really honored in this part of Russian history and Caucasus history. I wonder if we could find a, like a monument to these guys somewhere. Huh. I'm sure there's one somewhere. Yeah. Some I, I think there, there probably is. We're going to have some links so you can check out about this online as well. The Savage Division. And if you're looking for the, uh, like a good name for like a high school metal band, the Savage Division would work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we'll give you the Russian name of it. See, that would be... That would have like great historical significance. Absolutely. And you could come here on tour. That's right. Uh, so anyways, uh, to recap, Imam Shamil, uh, Dagestani religious and military leader, Al-Khlich Hasayev. Um, Samson of the Caucasus. That's right. Or Dagestani Goliath. wrestler, strongman. And then the Savage Division or the Caucasus like infantry division. Uh, these are kind of figures in Caucasus history that are respected and kind of embodied those values in Caucasus men of honor and strength. And you're telling me, and I would say this is true, that these aren't just um, fond historical memories. Like the memories of these guys live on today in, and they're, even though the world is so different, they're immediately relevant. That's right. They're immediately relevant. Like we could look back in U.S. history to, you know, I don't know, Ulysses S. Grant or, you know, Lincoln or someone and with admiration. That's right. But I feel like there's not the the currency. It's not like I'm trying to be Personal like Lincoln pride. today. That's right. Right. Yeah. But these guys, even though it's from a hundred, 200 years ago, it's very current. Again, that's where honor, you see the honor connected because we're, they're one of, we were one of them, you know, or they're one of us. That's one of our people. Right. They're from my Republic. Um, we share the same religion, whatever, right, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. And again, remember, like, those were in those specific contexts. It doesn't mean today that uh, this is a stereotype of Caucasus men, that they're always up for a fight 
or war or something. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what it means, you know. Um, so anyways, we'll have links in the show notes to all those things so you can check out more and learn more for yourself. Uh, but this was really educational for me because I knew a little bit about Mom Shamil, but I'd never heard of these two other things. I think, too, for, for those of us who want to really relate to and get to know on a, on a more insider level um, folks from the caucuses, you know, I don't, I personally don't want to put on or, or fake who I am, but to look reflectively at myself and think, okay, you know, where do honor and strength fit in my life? How does that look to yes. my caucuses friends and how, you know, how can I better relate to them? knowing this about probably most of them and what they value. Yeah. And I think that's good. Like I think most of us would agree that cultures around the world are very different, which is okay. And inherently in all of those cultures are some really, really good qualities. And this is a part of like how you can learn how they're just worked out in different contexts. For sure. Yeah. Um, So yeah. Anyways. All right. So that was, uh, that wraps up kind of our portion about Caucasus men values of honor and strength and uh next episode we're going to talk about what it what and who is the caucasus woman hold on to your bonnets hold on to your bonnets and your hats um yeah so hey what if we do a north caucasus news minute right now (gasps) we haven't had a news minute it's been a minute since we did one of those yeah i'll say yeah okay so recently not far from here the guinness world book of records just officially recognize the oldest person in the world. The Guinness Book of World Records. Yes. That didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. The oldest person in the world? Lives about an hour and a half from here, from Pitigors. We need to go meet him or her. I've wondered about this. So uh, we'll have details in the show notes for you, but she is a Kabardine woman, Kabardian or Circassian. Her name is Nanu Shaova. Nanu. And uh, she, so she lives in Kabardina, Bulgaria. It's in a village called Zayukova, which is on the way to Mount Elbrus. It's on the main road to Elbrus. Do you know the elevation of Zayukova? I don't know the elevation. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a village you drive through if you're going to Mount Elbrus. So like right. right on the way. How old do you think she is, Eli? Oh, to be the oldest in the world, she has to be like 111 or something. Keep going, baby. No. 118. 127 years old. That is hard to even think about. <laughs> so let's go backwards. Listeners, did you hear that? This lady, Nanu Shaova, is 127 years old. That means she was born in either 1890 or 89. Wow. Think of just, not, don't even think about world history. Think of Russian history, all that's happened in her lifetime. Good grief. 1917 was the Marxist communist revolution. That's when Lenin came into power. So it switched from empire, Tsarist times to communist Soviet Union. Right. Then uh, World War II happened. She lived through- uh, The Cold War. Cold War, perestroika, uh, the Iron Curtain coming down, and then all the changes that have come with that as well. And that, that's just the very basic changes, you know? We need to go meet her. <laughs> I have wondered about that. Can you imagine? If we interviewed her, dude, that could put us on the map. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyways, she's 127. Listen to her family statistics. Eight kids. Wait, she has eight kids? She has eight kids. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I don't know if they're all alive yet. I would, or still, I would assume maybe not all of them are still alive. 19 grandkids, 33 great grandkids, and only five great great grandkids right now. They're <laughs> still working. Great great grandkids. Five great great grandkids. Oh my gosh. Who's the oldest person you've ever known personally? And how old were they? Um, I don't know that I've ever met a centenarian. What do you call them? Centurion? Not I think a centurion. that's right. Centenarian. Centenarian. Um, you know, 90s, definitely. I My great-grandma... Well, no personally, but wasn't with her. 102. Okay. My great-grandma was 96. She might have lived later than that. I can't remember, but I know she held me as a baby. That's um, cool. Yeah. Um, and I have a ball car friend here who... He told me... His grandpa, when or his great grandpa, when he was a hundred years old, he climbed Elbrus. What? Talk about a jigit. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, man, I don't know if people necessarily live longer here, but that is pretty impressive. One hundred twenty-seven years old. So, shout out. This is a true. We've done some shout outs, but this is this our, is like we need to. Um, you know, ask her that really helpful question. Like, what's your secret to living so long? Yes. Do you swallow a whole clove of garlic every day? Yeah. Shout out to Nanu Shaova. Awesome. Nanu. 709 meters. That's the elevation of her, of her village. Cool. Which is over 2,000 feet. Yeah. Not that high. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Pretty cool. Right here in the North Caucasus, not far from where we live. She could be part of our next episode about the ideal Caucasus woman. Wow, she would probably have something to say. All right, no. Andrew, you got it. We got to start working on this. Okay. All right, man. Awesome. Future episode ideas always <laughs> bubbling in. That's it. Episode Good one. 10, right? And just scraping the surface. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think we should go interview people and ask them what's about ideal men and women on the street and get some answers. We definitely need to start getting more local with yeah. what we're doing here. Yeah. And uh, listeners, uh, this goes for. Uh, our local friends from the Caucasus, as well as our friends really from all over the world, but our English speaking friends from the West. We have, you know, we, we've done 10 episodes so far and we have ideas of future episodes, but we would love your ideas. Uh, what would you like to hear about? Learn more about this region. Definitely. What would you like to share if you are from this region? Those kinds of things. What are we missing? What do we need <laughs> to tell the world about the Caucasus? Um, so anyways, thanks for listening. Check out the show notes. Uh, those will be on our website at caucustalk.com as well as linked with the podcast in Android and iTunes or iPhone devices. Platforms, that's right. Yeah, Apple, Mac devices. Yep. Um, yeah, and email us any questions at podcast at caucustalk.com. Listeners, thank you so much for bearing with us. Hopefully you're enjoying the ride. We are. And we'll see you next time. Again, this was Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. And we will see you when you get here.